King's kids. Not time to go yet. Almost. We're going we're gonna to read the Bible together first, and then I'll dismiss you. So you have to listen to the Bible reading, all right? Today I've asked Steve Knight to do our Bible reading. He's one of our young Air Force men. He's recently been assigned to Albuquerque. That sounds like a rough assignment, my man. Rough. Rough. So I just before he reads, I just wanted you guys to know about him. And um, we've he's been participating in small groups. He's been giving. He's been faithful. Um, whether he's here ten weeks, ten months, or ten years, we are grateful for the people God brings to us. So, thank you. We uh, we thank you for your service, and we honor you today. And we, if we never see you again, we'll see you in heaven. Uh, he is a brother, and uh, that's how we want to treat people. That's how we want to be treated, right? Um, and so turn to Philippians chapter 3 and follow along with this young man as he reads. And as we bring his name up, as he lands in the bulletin, I'll wait till you leave before I put your name in the bulletin. <laughs> be less, uh, less intimidating. Um, this is Steve, so that's who we're going to pray for as he uh, continues pursuing God's call on his life in the Air Force. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. 11. Got it. Go. Good morning, church. <clears throat> and actually, there's an update to the uh, oh. news. I got a date, the 27th of uh, July here, or uh, June, actually. June, yeah, all so right. I only got like four weeks left. Good. And when's your wedding? June 4th. Yeah. June 4th, June. Yeah. It's we need to pray month. extra hard. <laughs> I'm going to need it. <laughs> Talk about stacking. His fiance Olivia. Olivia. She's been here a couple times. Uh, her family's even been here, so you've exposed her to a lot yeah. of culture. She came. She followed. She, wow. If she came to Ian for you, I think you got to keep her. She took it better than I did. Wow. So yeah. All right. That's that's a good update. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. <coughs> All right. Philippians three verses one through eleven, and I'm reading out of the ESV. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing work of knowing, worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Mm. Amen. The righteousness of God that comes by faith. That's good stuff. Whoa, whoa. Let the guy sit down before I, I don't want him to get trampled. Second grade on down, you are dismissed, King's Kidders. 
Philippians. We start chapter 3 today. And don't be deceived. He's got a little preacher talk going on there. He says finally, but he's only halfway through his letter. So beware. They teach you that in preaching 101. You don't say finally when you're in the middle of the sermon. If you say finally, you've got to be done. But really, Paul, Paul is not. He's, he's not preaching on us. Uh, he's just transitioning. And it's a good transition. Because he has a really, really heavy warning. But like Paul usually does, life is not just heavy. It's heavy. When you really think about the truth of life, they're heavy. But in the middle of that, right, even right before he says, look out. Yeah, I want people to tell me to look out. But he says rejoice first. So that's the title today. Rejoice and look out. <laughs> right? Like, okay, you can rejoice and rejoice and rejoice, but you need to watch out. There are some things you need to be aware of. But you don't just live life always looking out, always being on guard, although you do need to always be on guard. That's not it. It's, Christianity is a balance of both, and not even a balance. It's the, those two things at the same time. We need to be a people who are always rejoicing in the Lord and looking out because we're susceptible we're easily deceived. <coughs> Rejoicing keeps our eyes on God. Keep one eye on God and one eye on Roy. We, keep one, we, have, to, we have to find a way to keep our eyes on the glories of heaven and on the glories of God that are on earth. And look out. Be aware of both. So Paul has got a lot of good things to say. And he says, verse 1, to write these same things again, to write these same things, it's not trouble for me. You're, it's, you, we should never grow weary of doing good, speaking good, sharing the gospel, and reminding people of the age-old truth that God is good. But look out. <laughs> that, that's, that's it. And he says, it's not, you're not troubling me. And it's safe for you. It helps you. It's good for you. Verse 2, beware of the dogs. Um, beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. If you were with us when we went through the book of Galatians, there's this is the, the early first century of the church getting kicked off and most of the first converts were Jewish. Paul was Jewish. Peter was Jewish. These guys, the, the 12 apostles were Jewish. So they brought a lot of their culture, their Judaism in and a lot of it was good because it all pointed to Jesus. However, <clears throat> over the centuries, their Judaism had be turned into legalism. Instead of faith in God that led them to do good works, they thought their good works made them right with God. And that's not true. And so as some of them became Christians, instead of moving forward into Jesus, some of them went backwards into the law. And here's, here's the thing that really got under Paul's skin. Paul is the apostle or the missionary to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to the Romans, to the non-Jews. He is starting 
churches and city after city, and he's filling them up with people who have no idea about Jewish culture, Hebrew culture. And so you've got these Jewish Christians coming back behind Paul, coming and telling the Roman and the Greek and the Asian believers, you need to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. Paul says, no, no, no. Um, If you want to make a note to the side there, in Galatians chapter 3, he has a, a thorough explanation. It's not even an explanation. He's got fighting words. (laughs) He gets vehement in so much that he even shares how he had to get in the apostle Peter's face when at one time Peter acted like Judaism was superior to Christianity and you shouldn't fellowship with Gentiles who hadn't been circumcised. And Paul says, no, in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. In Jesus, there is no circumcision or uncircumcision. We are one in Christ. Paul is over and over again leveling the playing field because what he's actually doing is preserving the gospel, which is you are saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. Not your works, not what you do, who you love. See how he makes it a heart issue? Not a flesh issue, not a skin issue, not a ritual or a ceremonial issue, not religious. It is Jesus. Ironic thing. It was very common for people of a Jewish mindset to call the Gentiles dogs. Demeaning them. Lowering them. So right here, when he says, watch out for the, these those Jewish dogs he means it to be an insult he's turning the tables on them because that's what they think a non-circumcised person is they think a non-circumcised person is as valuable as a dog is paul ready to fight anybody (laughs) over scripture and over the truth of jesus yes now with everyday folks with unbelievers, he's really actually pretty gentle. But when he encounters a religious hypocrite, he knows a thing or two about religious hypocrites because he was one. Sometimes we are our most vicious against people who we actually are the most like because we understand them and we understand where they're coming from. And boy, do we have an axe to grind. And it's usually not with them. So, so take some sharpness off that tongue of yours. Sometimes it's our kids. The very thing we hammer our kids about is usually the very thing that we have a problem with in our own lives. And we're trying to help them, but man, it comes out harsh. Um, We need to temper that, make it appropriate. Beware of the dogs. He's calling them by the very names they're using for others. And I don't think he believes that many of these people are actually following Jesus. Because then he calls them evil workers. That those are those are n- those are not the words you use for brethren, for brothers in Christ. So Paul, Paul, and this is back to Galatians. He sees that they are preaching a different gospel. 
not the one that saves people, the one that condemns people. So in no uncertain terms, he is warning these Philippians against the people he knows who are going to come to their church just like they're going to every church, trying to bring these Christians into legalism. You're not following Jesus unless you do this, this, and this. Yeah, Paul did a good job. Paul laid a good foundation, but that's just the foundation. Now to be a good Christian, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. No. Evil. Beware of the false circumcision. They are way more Jewish than they are Christian. They are preaching a different gospel. And so in verse 3, he turns the corner. And he gives us three marks of maturity that he expects to be in the life of true believers. Verse 3, we are the true circumcision. We. Notice that. He's not just saying, hey, me and these other guys with me who've been circumcised. We're the true circumcision. He's, He's including the Philippians. He doesn't circumcise people. They're not circumcised. And he calls them the true circumcision. We. Church of Philippi, Gentile believers with a Roman heritage. We are the true circumcision. How? What are the marks? Number one, we worship God in spirit. That's straight from John chapter 4. We worship by the spirit. That's what the Samaritan religious woman wanted to know. Hey, you Jews worship over here. We Samaritans worship over here, which is right. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not about where you worship. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. We who worship in the spirit of God, here's number two, and glory in Christ Jesus. To glory in something is to soak in it, to absorb it, and to let it become you, and you become it, to become one with it, to glory in something. And then when you're glorying in it, you're exalting it, you're promoting it, You are putting all you've got into it, glorying in Christ. And third, mark of their maturity. Put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in self. This this is not an exhaustive list. He doesn't expound on it a lot. He just combating a problem he knows is coming beware there are some evil people coming who are going to tell you that you need to be circumcised watch out for those dogs they're not from me they're not speaking the truth we are a people who worship in the spirit glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh so these are characteristics that we should see and look for in christian lives and that would be a good sermon problem is That would cover verses 1 through about 14. So what I'm going to do is just focus on that third one here. No confidence in the flesh. Because Paul does, it's kind of interesting to us, but he does something that's really common. Paul is very educated. He knows how to write script letters. He knows how to follow. He passed English class with flying colors. He knows how to please a teacher. He knows how to do an intro, a body, and a conclusion. He knows how to state a thesis and develop it. He knows how to write. This guy is very literate, and he does something in these verses that is very common. He goes one, two, three, and then he talks about them as three, two, one. 
That's not the usual way we do things, but for him and his culture, they would spot that immediately. He goes, one, two, three, and then he talks about number three, and then he talks about two and one. We're going to talk about two and one next week. We're just going to focus on what's in the middle there. And the reason people would write that way, one, two, three, three, two, one, is to highlight and spend more time on three. One, two, three, three, two, three, 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 two, one. That, that's in their mind. That's how you need to see this. Like, oh, that's important. No confidence in the flesh. That's really where he's going to hammer down. He talks about living by the spirit. He talks about glorifying Christ Jesus a lot in other places. But this the central part of this passage here, he is going to expound for us today why we should not put confidence in ourselves, in our flesh and our good works or what we just outwardly do. This is the real bulk of the sermon. Seven spiritual failures to avoid. And like any good teacher, Paul's going to point at himself. So seven spiritual failures to avoid. It really mirrors the book of Galatians. Summarizes Paul's testimony. In 1 Corinthians, he goes into a little more detail. But here... And it's really amazing because he packs it all into just two verses. Two verses. Let's build up to it. So verse 3 again. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So we're about to focus on verses 5 and 6. Verse 4, Paul transitions from, you don't have confidence in the flesh. If anybody should have confidence in the flesh, he says in verse 4, I could. I could have more confidence in my flesh than all of you put together. That's what he's saying. And why? Well, he's going to go first, very much in the spirit of Philippians 2. He's humbling himself. He's bringing himself down low so that he can show you all why he's serving you so faithfully. Because he's come out of this. Warning, rejoice. And look out, look out for the very thing I stumbled over. That's what he's saying. Look out for the very thing that sucked me in for 30 years of my life as a Jew. I stumbled over all these things. People are coming in. You keep rejoicing over what I told you to rejoice in and look out for these failures. Don't fall victim to these seven spiritual failures. First one, ritualism. Circumcised the eighth day. It is a ritual. You cut off the foreflesh from a baby boy's genitals. Paul had that done to him when he was young. And you know what? It didn't change his heart. That's what he knows. He knows that ceremony was done to him and he still needed to come face to face with Jesus. Face to face with Jesus. 
Outward ceremonies don't change your heart. Baptism, communion, confirmation, infant baptism, those things are supposed to be signs of something else. They don't actually change you. They become very meaningful when you do know Jesus. They become very sacred and they become very holy as they usher you. Those things can usher you closer to God as you meditate on what he did for you. You meditate on how he has saved you and you're just reflecting on the cross, right? Those are important things, but you can also go through the motions and they mean nothing. That's what a ceremony is. Watch out for these rituals. Ritualism does not change your heart. Second failure you need to watch out for and avoid. He says, circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel. This is nationalism. And we need to be careful of it. The Bible teaches no Jew no Greek, no Gentile in Christ. Jesus Christ levels the playing field. We should not be quick to boast that one country is better than another country. Even if in some ways it is, in some ways it's not. In some ways, third world countries are way simpler, way more grassroots, way more rural. You know, you know when somebody in Uganda thanks God for their one meal a day that they need. Even though they have less, in some ways they have more. When they pray, give us this day our daily bread. If you're in Somalia, you may get one piece of bread. They mean it. In some ways, every country has its strengths and weaknesses. And you don't usually choose your nationality. Have you thought about that? How many of you chose to become American? How many of you have chose to be American? Chose to be born here? How crazy is that to even say, I chose to be here. So should any of us really truly be boasting over our nationality when we do have, we didn't have much say over it? That's crazy to me. Paul sees that as a big problem. He is so cross-cultural. He is moving from country to country, from city to city. From it's, he sees that as a problem. We need to see that too. They're neither slave nor flee, free. Right to the side there, Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28, I wrote it out. Neither slave or free, nor male or female. Wow. That's deep. And it goes right into the second, or the third point. You have ritualism to avoid. Nationalism, we need to avoid that. Regionalism is the third one. Regionalism. Basically, Oklahoma is better than Texas. So, so you kinda, you're kind of boiling it down, right? Paul's like covering all of his bases. Like, like you, can, you can even take the region that you are culturally in. South is better than the north. The north is better than the south. The east is better from the west. The west is better from the east. Canada is better than... I mean, you can get into all... It, 
my small town is better than your small town. The, it's, it's, the more I think about it, the more I realize like our whole culture is built upon promoting these things. <laughs> my school against your school. We hate your school. Why? I don't know. Because we always have uh, the Hatfields versus the McCoys. Like, why? I, I don't know. I guess your grandpa drove his tractor on my grandpa's land. Some uh, That was about it. Broke the fence line, maybe? Or shot my dog on accident? Or, like, you know, you, like, you really have to work. You really have to work at fostering your own pride in order to maintain these things. And make it makes much of you. That's what Paul's warning them against, regionalism. Man, all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He, Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That's good and bad. It's good because they stuck it out with the Davidic line of kings. That's great. They stayed in Jerusalem. They, they, they maintained the kingship of, of Solomon and David. And they 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 followed God's chosen king. That's a good thing. Yeah, but back in Judges 19, they were also pretty heinous. They almost got wiped out because of their sin. Like that, you want careful. Anybody digs deep enough into your closet, they're going to find something. They're always skeletons. We need Jesus. Nothing dark there. Ritualism, avoid it. Nationalism, be on guard. Regionalism, don't slip into the thinking the way everybody around you thinks. And this fourth one is rank. Because he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only am I a Hebrew and know my Old Testament, I know it better than a lot of other Hebrews. So even within my own rituals, nationalism, regionalism, my rank... Like, you just, oh, I'm even better than the best. Here's the danger. Knowledge and training can lead to more and more pride. Knowledge and training lead to pride. It's always a danger. You know more, you can boast more. Or you can judge more harshly. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think of Jesus in John chapter 3. A Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to him by night and is asking some questions, and Jesus is giving them some answers. And I think Nicodemus must have had that look on his face. like, What? Because Jesus responds with, uh, Aren't you a teacher in Israel? Remember that line? Aren't you a teacher? You know who thought they were the Hebrews of Hebrews? The Pharisees. That's, that's the line Jesus uses on a Pharisee. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You don't get what I'm talking about, the Spirit and being born again? Aren't you a teacher in Israel and you don't get these things? Why would Jesus say that? Because we can know the Bible, study the Bible, have the right answers, and think we are growing our spiritual lives, when we are actually growing our pride, making much of ourselves instead of making much of Jesus. It's a dangerous thing. We need to guard our hearts against that. We need to be on the lookout for it. Fifth thing to avoid. 
as to the law, a Pharisee. Now he just comes right out and says it. This is rule keeping 101. Actually, they had taken it to graduate level. Um, these guys were in the 701s or whatever. These guys were becoming professional rule keepers to the point that they were tithing off the herbs they were growing in their gardens uh, in order to not eat any unclean thing. They would, they would filter their wine through a screen so they wouldn't accidentally consume a gnat or any little bug that would have fallen in there. I mean, they were scrupulous, just mm, really getting digging down deep into there. And um, yeah, again, Jesus has some sweet words on them. You strain at the gnat and you swallow a camel. To which any Pharisee would say, I've never swallowed a camel. <sighs> and Jesus would have to very patiently exhale slowly. That's not what I'm saying. What is he saying? They are working on the finer points of the law and they are neglecting the weightier matters. They are tithing like beasts. They're not missing a chance to tithe from their, their dill and their cumin and their, their bay leaves. And yet, they are not showing mercy. They are not showing grace. They are not carrying out social justice for the widows and orphans in their own land. Jesus, man, he, he cuts to the point. Paul was one of these guys. Paul was one of these people, extremely ungracious and harsh. And yet, as keeping the law of Pharisee, he is nailing it on the finer points of the law. But his heart, hmm. Self-imposed rules are deadly. Or shifting the rules to make important what you're really good at is deadly. Rules are rules. Laws are laws. Which ones do we like to keep? Oh, the ones that fit my temperament. Oh, I'm a natural saver. I'm going to be really good with money. Oh, I'm naturally good at taking care of people. I'm going to be really good with the widows and orphans. Oh, I'm really good. We, we, we take, we pick and choose, and we self-organize rules according to what we are good at, and we just kind of eh, put those other things behind our backs and hope they'll go away. Oh, no, no, more spiritual. We're going to let other brothers and sisters take care of that. Oh, my. <laughs> that's heavy. That's deadly. That's poisonous. Be careful in your rule keeping. Legalism creeps in very fast. Number six. Six spiritual failure to avoid. In verse six, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Zeal. This is sincerity. Zeal is very much an emotion-based response to something. If you respond with a lot of passion, a lot of gung-ho, I'm all in, 
That's zeal. Like you have a glimmer of something that needs to be done, but you dive into the pool before checking to make sure it's full of water. Let's go swimming. The zealous person jumps off the roof in the dark to the pool. Good idea. You hit the bottom. You realize, oh, ouch. Zeal can get you in trouble. It can be good. It can be channeled in a good direction. But what did Paul do with his zeal? He was so zealous for the law. He says persecutor of the church. What he means is murderer. He was willing to throw people into jail and murder them for claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. His zeal said, liar, die. That's a little more than a spiritual failure. So sincerity is not something we need to always uh, swallow. Your heart is desperately wicked. Hear me. You can be sincerely wrong. Your heart can be all in it and in the wrong things, in the wrong decisions. The Bible talks about this a whole lot. This is why there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Young people, don't ever marry somebody that your mom or dad don't think is right for you. They've been around people longer than you have. Even if your mom can't quite put her finger on it, trust them. Trust that gut. Trust that instinct. There's wisdom in a multiple group of cultures and a multiple uh, opinions. Like there's, there's like buying big purchases, cars, houses, where you choose to go to school. These are you're the career field you want to go into. These are life changing decisions. You don't need to be making just based upon your own likes and dislikes or your own limited knowledge because you can be sincerely wrong how much more in our spiritual lives do we focus on some things and neglect others when we are super sincere in worship or in service or in giving but then we forget to forgive those who've sinned against us when we hold a grudge when we are quick to anger when we fly off the handle This is heavy. Paul was sincere, and he was a murderer. Don't measure your spirituality by how big your heart is. It needs to be balanced out with how big Jesus is. Sincerity. Last one. Spiritual failure to avoid. Paul says, as to the righteousness of which is in the law, found blameless. Found blameless. This is moral superiority. For so long, Paul had lived a life looking down his nose at those who didn't know God as well as he did, who didn't serve God as well as he did. And that term, blameless, needs to be reserved for God. In two ways, that needs to be reserved for God. First of all, 
only God is blameless in his nature. That's primary. You can't blame God. He's above blame. He is God. He can do whatever he wants to do. That's what it means to be God. Thankfully, he's revealed himself to be merciful, gracious, kind, and gentle. He is good. We wouldn't be here if he wasn't. He's blameless. But on the second end of that, whoever God deems as blameless can be blameless. What if, wait a minute, you just said only God is blameless. I did. Just like God is only perfectly righteous. But God can declare somebody else righteous. So God is blameless. Here's the problem. The Pharisees were stacking all of these rules and laws and calling themselves blameless. We are not to blame. That's what they were saying. We're not to blame for these Romans being in charge. If we were in charge, we'd fix the temple. We'd fix worship. God would show up and we'd rule and reign again. We're not to blame for what's going wrong in our culture. We're not to blame for the orphans and for the widows. We're doing our part. We're tithing. We're keeping the law. We're doing all these things. We're trying. We are not to blame. That's what the Pharisees would say vehemently to Jesus' face. Don't blame us. And Jesus says, you are not of your father, Abraham. You are of your father, drop the mic, the devil. (laughs) He could not have gone anywhere more contentious than that. How is that possible in our moral superiority for Paul? Oh. Yeah, and so when Jesus appears to Paul, we're going to talk more about this in sermons to come. In in fact, right to the side there, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I might want to go read that this week. This is where Paul is saved by Jesus. Paul is saved by the Jesus whom Paul is actively persecuting. Like, wow. Paul! Saul, my bad. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Falls to his knees, blinded by the light of Jesus' presence. (laughs) He says, Lord, who are you? Oh, that's awesome. He acknowledges this is a supernatural being. He calls him Lord, and he wants to know, now, now, who am I kneeling before? Who? This is the way Paul's been his whole life. He was kneeling down to the devil and didn't even know it. Now he's in front of Jesus, doesn't even know it. But he's trying to get things straight. On the dime, he is turning. He's trying to get things straight. Who? Who are you? I think he swallows the biggest gulp of his life. All of his pride goes down. He's about to vomit on his own pride. Who? Jesus! And he shows up. 
everything wrong. He was doing everything wrong. That moment, he turns. Why is he writing these things to these Philippians? Because he's done them all a hundred times over. And these are his heartfelt words to a church. Please, these are not light things. These are things that will derail you from following Jesus quicker than you can blink your eyes. These are things that are derailing many churches today who are feeling moral superiority over their translation of the Bible. Moral superiority over the way they dress, over their music, over their formalism, over their ceremonies. Church, check your heart. Make sure these things are not infecting you because they will shipwreck you in a hurry. They're dangerous things. Blameless. No, we want God to declare that. And in verse 7, he concludes today's message with, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, write this down. See, you can gain all seven of these things and lose your soul. You can be really strong in the wrong things and God call it your biggest weakness. You miss Jesus. You get so busy living life. You get so busy caught up in details that you forget Jesus is the one you're supposed to kneel to every day, every moment. Counted as loss. Paul was full of himself when he should have been full of Christ. And you can't be both. You cannot be full of yourself and full of Christ. You're going to have to give up one. You're going to have to surrender something. It's either allegiance to him and go do things your own way, or you're going to surrender the rights to yourself and go do things his way. And there, there is not a consistent ritual that you can follow. It's so fluid. That's the thing that irritates people, I think, about following Jesus, is it's day by day. On one day, the right thing is to give a homeless guy $5, and the next day, it's not right. How do I know the difference? By walking by faith, by staying in touch with the Spirit, by on one day you realizing he can really use a meal, and you feed him, and then you smell alcohol in his breath the next day, and you realize, I probably shouldn't help that drunk have another drink. It's fluid. Christianity is changing from interaction to interaction, from child to child from job to job, from moment to moment. That is why we have to stay in step with the Spirit of God, because He is moving. He wants to work in each and every situation. And if you narrow your Christianity down to any of these seven failures, you're not walking by the Spirit anymore. Paul will be the first one to smack you upside the head. You see, you need to count all those things you did yesterday, all your giving last year, It's gone. Do right today. All those good works you did at that homeless shelter, all those those cards you gave away last year, good, good job, but don't live in that. You can't just keep doing that over and over again and be right. 
There are seasons of life and things to do that are right. He counts them as a loss for the sake of Christ. This is huge. Please write it down in all caps. Spiritual resolve. Paul came to a point in his life where he was humiliated and desperate and needy. And he resolved to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. (laughs) He said, never going back. Much like Abraham, I resolve to follow God no matter what. And all these guys make mistakes. They get up and they go do right the next time. And even if they fail, there's enough spiritual resolve in their life that they slowly overcome even the worst of their sins. Because God is bigger than their sins. Job overcomes deep, deep suffering. Why? Because he resolved, "Ah, though my flesh be destroyed, yet with my eyes I will see God. Curse God and die, Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. And on the end, he will stand on the earth. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. That's resolve. Peter, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, that's resolve. It comes back. We resolve to follow Jesus even if we sin. We come back over and over and over again. Here's the conclusion. In and with Jesus, essentials become failures to avoid. Write that down first before we finish the sentence. Paul had a lot of things he thought were essential. Circumcision, essential. Being from the nation of Israel, oh, that's essential to be part of the kingdom of God. Being from the tribe of Benjamin, that's essential to recognize the messianic king when he comes. Following the law, that's essential zealous for the law that you'll even hurt people who break the law that's essential knowing the law better and better puffing yourself up and getting knowledge knowledge that's essential those were things he called essentials and then he counts them all as loss they're not really essentials in christ with christ in your life essentials become failures to avoid because We realize Jesus is the main thing. That's the gospel. Jesus is the main thing. Being in him, living life with him, shopping with him, changing diapers with him, doing dishes with him, filling out tax forms with him, constant conversation with Jesus. Lord, is this how I need to do this? God, please use this to your glory. Raise this child up. God, help me do well on this test. What did I study? Did I, God, am I remembering that correctly? God, do I need to, where do I need to get gas today? Where do I need to get lunch today? Where, who am I, who did I miss at church today? Constant conversation with Jesus. You realize Jesus is all you need. You don't need a bunch of lists and rules. You've got God. How, what an insult to think you need a big list. Just tell me what to do. I'm telling you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct the path straight that is not even a jesus thing that's a proverbs ancient wisdom from the very beginning the way everybody's supposed to live life thing jesus is just the one who brings it right into your lap and says what are you going to do with me that's what it means stand with me let's pray When we spend time with Jesus, he will guide us. He will direct us. Jesus will guide us out of the rituals we need to stop. And Jesus can actually lead us into new rituals and habits that we need to begin. When we walk daily and spend time with Jesus, we understand how do we address our own citizenship and use it for the kingdom. When we walk and spend time with Jesus every day, He will help us overcome all of these failures. That we would not be a people who live by rules, but who are ruled by life with Jesus. That's everything. Pray with me to that end. God, we come before you and we say help. Help us to organize our lives better to stop wasting our time. Clear our minds in the morning that we would remember very early every day that this is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and look out. I will rejoice When good things come, and when evil comes, I will look out. I will not wallow in misery. I will not quit. I will not give up. God, give me the spiritual resolve to follow you no matter what happens today. I want to be like Job. I want to be like Peter. I want to be like Paul. But for that to happen, God, I need you to root out some of these failures from my life. Work on us. Change us. Help our kids do better than we've done. Help us. That's our prayer today. That we would learn to rejoice and look out for the failures that so quickly creep in. We repent of them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished.
could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living Sound. 
think Paul would like that thought. Oh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God bless you. Amen.